Welcome to this week's message from Mountain Park Church. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we hope that as you listen to today's message, you feel challenged and inspired to give God more room to work in your life this week. And I know that Andrew has been in this series on uh, invisible authority and sort of talking about spiritual warfare. I listened to his messages because I'm sure you guys know they're on SoundCloud now. You can actually listen to them online, which was great. And I know that he was talking in the first week that he started this series. He was sort of setting a structure for us of the invisible realm, the spiritual realm that is around us all the time. He looked at Daniel 10, and he looked at the book of Acts when Paul was in prison, and he talked about the fact that angels were coming to the rescue of those who prayed. And that was really, really good. And then last week, week, he talked about the armor of God and how we can understand what those pieces of the armor are and how we put them on and we protect ourselves and prepare ourselves for battle in the spiritual realm. And today, I was really, really excited to come and talk to you guys about the name of Jesus because there is so much power in the name of Jesus. I was so excited to talk about the name of Jesus until two days ago when God said, no, you're not taught talking the name of Jesus this Sunday. And I was like, I was like no, I want to. <laughs> That's what I want to talk about. And he just took me in a different direction and another path for us this morning. And I believe that this is what he wants to say. I had other things I wanted to say. I believe the message that he gave me is what he wants to say this morning. And so as we continue on in this series, I want to talk actually about structures and other, others of authority just for a minute. Because we were actually built and designed by God to rule and reign. When he put Adam in the garden, he said, I'm going to give you dominion or rule over everything in the garden. And the plans in the garden didn't actually really work out, did they? Some things got in the way. But God designed us with this innate thing inside of us that desires authority structures, that desires the opportunity to rule and reign with him. This is, it's, it's in our lives all of the time. You know, when you're a little, when you're a little kid on the play, playground, someone would say, you can't tell me to do that. You're not my mom, right? Or you can't tell me what to do. You're not the teacher. Why? Because we understand that there were actually authority figures in our life. They're the ones we do have to listen to. Not everybody out, right? And as, as we grow up, some of us who are wired to be leaders, we have an especially hard time when there's no leadership in a, in a room. I don't know, like, it's really hard. I know we went into one of my daughter's parent-teacher interviews, and she's, my daughter Lexi, she's, she's a little leader too. She's, she's just coming up as a leader. She's 16 now, but when she, when she was young, this tiny little thing, she's skinny, title, I don't know, it was probably grade two or three. And the teacher said, I have to tell you this story because it's kind of funny. And I was like, uh, you never know what to think when the teacher tells you that, right? <laughs> okay, funny. What did my kid do? And she, she wouldn't believe little Lexi. The class, I had, I had asked the class to put themselves in order of who was tallest to shortest. 
and they were all fighting amongst themselves who was taller than who and it was like they're having a really hard time themselves in order and I know exactly how she felt in this moment because when there's there's no and I think the teacher was doing some sort of a, a, an exercise with them she wanted them to understand that it was difficult difficult for long right but Lexi, Lexi stood up, it was like she couldn't take it anymore. And she just stood up and she goes, all right, you guys, this is chaos. You listen to me, you're the tallest, you go over there. And, you, and she was like literally the littlest thing in the class. And she just started putting them in order. And you know what? The teacher said she said she'd back and watch because every single kid listened to her and got into order just like she said. And she was like there and turned and looked at the teacher like, okay, someone had to take control of this, right? We're always looking for that. When, when things are wrong, what's, what's the first thing you do? Who's in, who's in charge here? Who's the manager? Who's running this joint, right? We, want it, we actually want to know the authority structure that's in place. But unfortunately, in the broken system of the world that we live in, we've seen too many times that authority structures can go really, really bad. We see it on see it on news when police officers who are commissioned with a role of authority to serve and protect their communities actually take it too far. We've seen governmental structures break down. We've seen healthcare structures that are supposed to help us and help the people around us break down. We've seen all kinds of structures break down. One of the hardest hit structures that was actually a structure that God put into place is, is a structure of the home. The home has taken a real beating. And we actually crave to have good structure and good authority at place in our lives. And we actually crave and want to know where we fit in that structure. We want to know the places and, and the atmospheres where we are in charge and have responsibility. And we also want to know where we sit back because someone else else's got it. We want to know this, right? It's hardwired into our souls to actually live in a structure. And God intended that we would be his people, live in his kingdom, his structure, and his authority. But it's, it actually takes a lot of faith for us to believe in the kingdom of God. It actually takes a lot of faith for us to believe in the kingdom the way God intended us to and the way he intended his kingdom to run. Because we've seen, like I said, everything around us has just broken down, right? We don't, we don't actually see a lot of really good authority structures around us anymore. We feel like they've all failed us at some level or another. And so it takes a lot of faith to believe in God's system and believe that it, that it was. And it, it especially takes a lot of faith when he says things like, the first will be last and the last will be first. Or that it's the poor in spirit and the meek who are gonna be blessed and inherit earth. That doesn't make sense to us, does it? Or when he says, if you actually lose your life, if you totally surrender your life, you'll actually find the freedom to live. These kinds of principles are too cultural to what we, what we see in us. And so it takes great faith to believe 
that if I follow these principles that are outlined in his word, and I actually follow what he teaches the kingdom, I think Jesus said more, more than anything else, the kingdom of God is like. And he went on to tell parables about what the kingdom of God was like. And it was, it was new when Jesus came. He was always talking about the structure of the kingdom of God, but the people around him thought he was coming to set up a physical structure, a physical kingdom. Even the disciples, right up until the last moment at the Last Supper, they were fighting about who's going to have the, the greater place, place kingdom that Jesus was, was going to establish, right? right? They were missing something. And I wonder if often Jesus said, you remember this little line, it's in the Gospels several times, he said, said you little faith. He said, he said that to his disciples. And it was always centered around them understanding the kingdom and how it worked. It was always centered around, you know, you're not understanding that you don't have to worry about what you eat and drink. You think you just give me first. You don't have to worry about What's going to happen in your life if you just put me first and listen to my voice? You don't have to worry about all the things you think you have to worry about if you would just let me be Lord of your life. And they weren't, weren't getting it. But there was two people. They're unnamed faces in the crowd who actually, their, their encounters with Jesus stopped him in his trust. Tr and he actually turned to each of these two people and said, wow, you have great faith. We know, we know only as the Canaanite woman and the centurion soldier. And if it's okay, I'm going to read the accounts of both of their stories. And then I'm just going to take a look at some of the parallels between these two stories because I think there's something that we can learn what it means to have great faith by looking at these two stories of these people who literally stopped Jesus in his tracks. So we're going to read first about the Canaanite woman. In Matthew 15, if you have, have your bulls, you can open up to, to chapter 15, verse 22, and I'm going to read the account of the Canaanite woman. She was from the vicinity where Jesus was traveling, and she came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Mother is demon-possessed, and she's suffering terribly. Jesus didn't answer a word. I could preach a whole sermon on that one line. <laughs> Jesus did not answer a word. Do you ever feel, feel like you ask Jesus for something, and it's like he's totally silent? This is a test of our faith. Jesus didn't say a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. She's, she's putting us, send her away. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now that's significant because this woman was not an Israelite, okay? Both actually the Canaanite woman and centurion soldier were not Israelites. Did I say that right the first time? I'm not sure I did. They were not Israelites. The woman came and knelt down before him. She said, Lord, help me. And he replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, if there was ever a statement to make me go, okay, I'm crushed. You just called me a dog. I'm out of here, right? But she pushed further in. And she said, yes, it is, Lord. 
Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And he healed her daughter at, their, at that moment. Skip over to Matthew 8, just back a couple of chapters. And I'm going to start reading in verse 5 about the centurion soldier. He came to Jesus. He was asking for help. He said, Lord, Lord, my servant lies paralyzed and suffering terribly. Jesus said, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, no, I don't even deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell this one, go, and he goes. And I tell that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. So when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And he said to all those who were following, truly I tell you that I have not found one in Israel who has such great faith. It skipped down to verse 13. says, Jesus said to the, to the centurion, Go, let it be done for you as you believed it would. And his servant was healed from that very moment. And so I just want to, for a moment, draw a few comparisons from, from two stories about what it means to have great faith and, and about the authority structure of the kingdom of God. And the first thing I kind of already said is that both of these people knew their place. Both the Canaanite and the centurion soldier knew their place, and they actually had a great understanding of the kingdom of God. The Canaanite woman said they, they both understood that they were not Israelites, and they were not the first that Jesus came for. But they both understood that there was a structure that he was setting up that was for the Gentiles as well. And they understood that even though you called me a dog, that's okay. Even the dogs get the crumb crumbs. They were, they were willing to humble themselves and put themselves where they felt they belonged in this sort of pecking order of a kingdom, if you want to put it that way. And they were able in all humility to come to God, to come to Jesus himself and say, I know I'm not worthy. That's, that was the centurion soldier's words. He said, I'm not worthy. Don't even come in my house. I'm not, not worthy. They actually understood that they weren't worthy, but that God was still able. I think that's really powerful. Another thing about both, both of these people is that they came on behalf of someone in their household. Now, this is really key and really powerful if you're a parent. Because there is this concept throughout the Bible from beginning to end, end that covers your household. And you can look at it literally. I, I wouldn't have time to do all the examples. But if you look at the Passover, they put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and everyone in their house was saved. When Noah, Noah built the ark, he took all of his family, his children and his grandchildren, his household was saved. When Rahab put the, the 
cord, the red cord out of the window. All, everyone in her household was saved. This goes on and on and on through every story story Bible. It's not because they all had faith. God says, this one patriarch of the family has faith. And because of that, I'm going to bless his household. And the Bible says that even um, that the blessings can go from a to a thousand generations. Your kids will be blessed. Their kids will be blessed. Their kids will be blessed because of your faithfulness to God. And these two people understood this concept that they could come to God on behalf of someone in their household. In fact, there are other people in the Gospels. Often it happened that they came to, to Jesus wanting healing for a daughter or a son or even the centurion soldier, I love this, who came for one of his servants who he loved and he cared about. That was someone in his household. And so as parents, we have a spiritual authority over our household. And with that authority comes the responsibility to know how to, how to exercise it and operate in it and use it when it comes to our kids. I was recently driving in my car, probably about six months ago, and I'd come through a really difficult season. Do you ever, ever feel everything in your life is just chaos? Everything's chaos. There was no structure, there was no order. It was just a mess. And I remember driving in my car and just feeling like, God, I am so done with feeling like this. I am so done with this. I am so over it. And something came, oh, I can't say it came over me. It literally came from within me. I felt like it bubbled up from the depths of within me. And out of my mouth, I just started just start claiming authority over everything. I was like, that's it, devil. You get out of my family. You get out of my marriage. You get out of my home. You are not welcome here. You have no right. And I, I was, I was, it was like, I didn't, I didn't even know almost where it came from. It just came out of me. And I kept saying this, this one line, you have no right. You have no right. And I feel like sometimes as parents, we allow the, our lives or, or our home to get into a bit of chaos. But we have the responsibility and the right and the privilege to call on the Lord to save us and to save our family. And it's unfortunate that what we often do is we wait until things are in chaos to ask for help. Because we think we've got, we've got control, right? We think we can fix things, we, there's, you know, we can get determination, there's a lot of things that we can do in and of our own power. And so we think, you know, it's not that bad, I've got this, I can fix it, but kind of, kind of at the end of our rope, we, we go, go, I need you. And he's faithful. And he always steps in and, and does what he needs to do in those moments. But I wonder, I wonder how, how much agony we would save ourselves if we actually flip-flopped this and came and submitted ourselves and surrendered ourselves to God first and got his marching orders and his plan for our life first and then carried it out. Instead of trying to take control and doing our own thing and then going, okay, God, now I need you. Do you get the flip-flop of that? I think that Jesus was 
the ultimate example of this. It says about um, God, God, I think Andrew touched on this in, this in other weeks, but that God had, has given all authority to Jesus. Did you guys talk about this? Someone nod if you did or no. God, actually, he says in the Bible that he's given all authority to Jesus. And on the cross, Jesus won a victory over the enemy. So he has all authority given to him by God. But Jesus said, I do nothing except that it's my Father's will. So this is a perfect example of how submission and authority works and how it's intended to work in our lives. If we're fully submitted to God, if we're fully submitted that he is Lord of of our lives, and we follow Jesus' example of, of going into private and praying, you know, Jesus did that on a regular basis. If you read through the Gospels, there's a regular rhythm where he would would go into solitude and pray. He would align himself with his father. And then he would come out and he would minister. And then he would go back away to pray in solitude and then he would come out and he would minister. And before he went to the cross, he went to the garden to pray. And once again, surrendered his will to the will of the father. It was a constant thing in Jesus' life. And if it had to be a constant thing, in Jesus' life, how much more do I need that to be a constant thing in my life? How much more do I need to regularly be in front of God saying, God, what is your plan for my day? What is your plan for my family? What do, what do I need to believe for? And this is actually even flipped-flopped my prayers because I no longer pray for the things that I think that I want, but I get before God and I go, God, what do you want? What do you want for my family? What do you want for my life? I don't even want to pray into the things that I want. I feel like that's useless and futile. I want to pray what you want. That's what I saw Jesus do. And that's what I want to do. So would you reveal your will to me so I pray into it too? And you know what? He does. Every day he shows up. And, you know, it's not like crazy, like, what color socks am I going to wear today? It's not that kind of stuff. It's, but, but, it, but it's like, God, I need your direction. I need your guidance in my life. Otherwise, my life can really easily get out of control. And I don't want it out of control. I want it fully under control and the authority of Jesus. And so this brings me down to this one little word that both the Canaanite woman and the centurion soldier used when they addressed Jesus. They named him Lord. And, and I think what I'm afraid of in church, in church life, is that we use the term Lord a lot. But we don't reverence it for what it, for what it truly means. I'm going to invite... The worship team to come back. They're just gonna they're gonna play a little bit underneath at the end here. I'm almost done. But I want to take take time to reflect on what it means to have Jesus as Lord of our lives. And you know, we wanna sing the songs, 
and say Jesus is Lord and we're okay with that, do, but do we actually stop and think about what it means for our daily lives? That literally nothing should be being done in our, in our lives outside of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And like I said, you know, a lot of times we forget about that and we do our own thing and our own control and then we go, okay, God, I need you as Lord, but I don't know if that's really means to have him as his Lord. The word Lord actually means that I'm, I'm fully under his control, his delegation. That whatever he says, I do. I love how the centurion soldier said this. He said, I too am a man under authority. I say, come and they come. I say, go and go and they come. He didn't say, I'm a man with authority. He could have easily have said it that way, right? It would have made sense. I too am a man with authority. I say, come and they come. I say, go and they go. That makes sense. But he said, I'm a man under authority. You see, we have to understand that we can't operate in authority until we were under authority. And we need the authority of lordship, Jesus Christ, in our life, guiding us and directing us every day so that we have the power to step out in authority when the time comes and we need to do it. And I know, I know, when I come here, sometimes my messages are a little bit heavy. I'm aware of that. <laughs> this is heavy in my own life as well because it's serious business. And I feel like there is a, a frenzy of activity in the world around us. We all see it on the news. We all see what's happening. It is a dark, cold, chaos-driven world around us. But the church of God has been given the right and the responsibility and the opportunity to bring a different kind of system, to bring a different kind of kingdom, a different kind of authority that's actually shocking to the rest of the world. They don't understand what it means to become a slave and to actually find freedom. They don't understand what it means to lose your life and actually find it in Christ. They don't understand what this means, but we do. And so I feel like there is a responsibility that we can, we can to submit ourselves on a regular basis to the Lordship of Jesus. And the band is gonna sing this song, Great Are You, Lord, again. We're just gonna sing the chorus of that song. And I'm gonna invite you to stand as we sing it. Go ahead and stand up right now. This is going to be really good. But while, while we're singing this, I actually want, want there to be a moment to reflect on, on what we just heard today. And I wonder if in this moment, Jesus is sort of putting his finger on something in your life and saying, you know what? You, you're trying to control this area. Because, you know, sometimes we'll let, we'll let him in just so far, and then we're like, no, it's okay, I got the rest, right? 
We let him in a little, little bit. We let him in Sunday. Are we letting him in on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday? Is he there on Saturday night? And so I feel like God is always continually showing me little places in my life where I still want control. Where I still say, no, 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 it's okay, I got this. I feel like he really just wants to say today, would you surrender those areas to me? Would you be willing to trust me? Would you be willing to be like one who has great faith and trust that my way is better than your way? And trust that if you will surrender those things, those areas of control, if you'll surrender them over to me, that I can make them far greater, abundantly more, more than ever ask or think on your own. Would you trust me with that? Would you trust me? And so as we sing this chorus, just for a few moments at the end here, I want you to take the opportunity to just reflect and let God, let God speak to you. Open your heart and ask him as you sing, great are you, Lord. Ask him, is there any area in my life that I need to surrender again today to you? And I'll come up and pray and close at the end, but I just want to, want to give you a couple of moments to reflect on this, if that's okay. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We genuinely hope that you are inspired and challenged in your faith by what you heard. We'd love to invite you to connect with us online or even partner with us in ministry by going to mp.church forward slash give. See you next week.